All right, here we are, and we are ready to uh, start our Revelation 15 study for the day. And after finishing our singing this morning, wasn't that, wasn't that good to be able to sing those songs all about the uh, love of God, the grace of God, His forgiveness, His mercy, the great God that we know of. It's really something to be able to do that. So as we turn to Revelation 15, as we think about the songs we sang and uh, the little ones that came up and uh, helped us. I, I call them little ones, but a couple of them really, really aren't that little anymore. And they helped us with that. Thank you, guys and girls. Okay. And uh, that's, uh, that's good. You can go home and tell your mom that you sang that for her and for the Lord. <laughs> okay. And your daddy will back you up on that. I don't know if we got any video on that, but... Anyway, we might have more songs from you guys. You know, you do pretty good. What do you guys think? The church? We, we could do that, couldn't we? <laughs> anyway, we enjoyed that. Uh, we actually have two more songs to go, folks. We're not done yet. Because in Revelation 15, in our text today, we have two songs <laughs> in two verses. I kid you not. I want to tell you, I don't know how the melody goes. But I do know the lyrics are really good. <laughs> They're great. Um, that's found in verses 3 and 4 here. That's what we're looking to. And I think it's a, it's a great message for Mother's Day. Because it is focusing upon our Lord and Savior and the greatness of Him. And He is great in all His works, great and awesome. And He's great in delivering our children, isn't He? Anyway, the praise and worship that in heaven is riveting. It's powerful. And, you know, there's several songs throughout Revelation that show to us that that's what's going on in heaven so much. Singing and praising God. There's many other things, believe me, but this is like the, the chief end whenever we're right before the Lord face to face. Great interludes, uh, these songs are, because we have passages dealing with the wrath of God. And fortunately, this week we don't deal with a lot with the wrath of God. On Mother's Day, I don't know, that would probably be difficult, wouldn't it? So uh, we're going to be uh, talking about singing because I know all the mothers here love to sing and they will uh, identify with that. But you identify with the wrath of God too, though, don't you? But it's great to have an interlude here of realizing that not only are we here at this church singing with other believers, but one day we will sing with all the saints of all history of mankind and not only the saints, but we'll be singing with the angels. And uh, we uh, will not have to apologize to the angels. Our voices will be perfect. Every note will be fantastic. Every one of us could win one of those talent shows if we were to take that voice and bring it down to here on those singing shows, right? Well, as we come to chapter 15, we've already been set up for this in chapter 14. 
And it was wrapped up with the wrath of God. And you would think, okay, it's time to unleash them. And it is, but... And as we looked at chapter 14, there was an analogy of reaping. Reaping grain. And also there was the grapes of wrath. The reaping of grain would be what chapter 16 is about, which is really the bold judgments. The last of the seven series of judgments, you had the, do you remember now? The seals, the seven seals. And then you had the seven trumpet judgments. We are now ready to go into the last set, which means we are right at the end of the great tribulation. We are that close. It could be days, it could be weeks, maybe months, but I don't know. I think it's just so rapid fire. It's in the very last days. And that would be the grain harvest. The grape harvest, we said, could very possibly be when Christ comes back, right at His second coming, and that's Armageddon. So that is what we're talking about all the way up to the return of Christ. But these seven bold judgments are just before that. The seven plagues were there. But hang on, hang on, this prelude happens. And so here we are, standing on our tippy toes, and we're hanging out here, and we're looking, we're trying to gather this and trying to get this focus upon the very, very last judgments. And you know what we get? Praise to God. I love these songs in Revelation. Like I say, probably one of these days we will learn how the melody goes. So I won't try to mimic what it is because the notes are not there. We don't know. Uh, we need this. We need this part here as we understand this is where everything leads to. Praise to God. The chief end of man. To praise God. To glorify God. Everything is about praising God. That is what life is about. That's what it is now. It's what we're at right here in this church meeting that we're having. And right on into the eternal state. It'll continue. That's the ultimate priority. To worship God totally in our glorified state. And so we're not focusing so much on the wrath today, but looking into, catch this, the very throne room of God. We're looking into heaven. John is describing it the best that he possibly can. And remember, he's Holy Spirit inspired. So we're getting the best account that we can have. And... Uh, it's whenever God's people gather around the throne of God to worship Him. Does that get you excited? That's what we're going to do today, ladies, mothers, and gentlemen. And we will be focusing upon very heaven. Can all of us understand that? Everybody knows about heaven to come, right? This is kind of what it looks like. And what is going on there? By the time we get to chapter 21 and 22, we can't help but shout hallelujah because that is what is waiting for us. We're waiting for that, aren't we? Looking for that. That is what it's about. Finally getting there. Well, let's uh, pick up our Bibles and let's learn about this. 
chapter 15. By the way, this is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. So therefore, we're going to attempt to do one whole chapter here today. Start praying about that. (laughs) Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God, And they sang the song of Moses and the bondservant of God. And they sang the song of the Lamb saying, here's the song now, great and marvelous are your works. O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name? For You alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before You, for Your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, And the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Did you catch that? The temple is opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girdled around their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Dear Heavenly Father, give us insight into such a glorious passage, Lord, where I fail to bring out the vivid imagery of what you've just written. Let your Holy Spirit just empower all of us to be able to get a little bit of a glimpse of heaven exactly where you dwell. We are blown away by what you have just revealed. Help us get excited about this passage that is very understandable, but very profound. In Jesus' name, Amen. Chapter 15, verse 1. I try to be clear here today, as I always try to, but it may go beyond that sometimes and not be so clear. But I rely on God's Spirit to teach each one of us, right? Well, here it says in verse 1, Then I saw, that's John, he's writing this, and he saw. And so he's writing it down for us to be able to get. Another sign in heaven. 
So, by the way, in verse 1, then, I saw. We're going to call this the first sign. Um, Verse 2, look at that. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. So how many times or how many signs or visions has he seen here or different sightings? That's two. Verse 5, after these things, after the song, I looked and the temple, the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. So he sees the sign in heaven. You have the seven angels and, and such. Verse 2, he sees the sea of glass uh, right before the throne room of God, right into the temple. And he goes right in, not only to the, the very tabernacle of testimony, heaven is opened. And he sees these angels again <clears throat> that are getting ready to drop out the bold judgments. So the scene begins here. We talked about those kind of three visions. It's a, a sight of heaven and the throne and saints and angels singing. This is good. Great news, isn't it? What a sight it would be. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing this? John is seeing this and he's relating it to us. A heavenly vision. We uh, <clears throat> recall chapter 4 in Revelation where John saw the Holy One, the One sitting on the throne, and then he saw the rainbow, then he saw the 24 elders, he saw the four living creatures. What a beautiful scene. This is really tremendous. How could he just go on from there? Wouldn't you like to just stay there in that vision? Well, it says right here, I saw another sign in heaven. Now, by the way, in Revelation 12, we got two signs there. One was the sign of the woman with child. That would be Israel giving birth to the Messiah. And then the second was found also, uh, was a great red dragon, which is Satan. So there was a sign, and there was a sign. Now here in chapter 15, I see another sign. And it's heaven. This is incredible what uh, he describes. And uh, he says that it's great. This was something great. When somebody says great, sometimes we take it for granted. Don't miss this word. What I saw was just... It was... What words can you use? He uses great. The word there in the Greek is mega, which is uh, in our vernacular today, oh, mega this, mega that, right? Younger generation, I guess, has done that for a few years, mega. Uh, that mean that means great, it means large, it's massive. Uh, he goes on and says, it's marvelous. Um, marvelous, what is that? He, it's amazed. How many times do you see that word? Amazed in the Bible. Uh, people are amazed at Jesus and His miracles that He did, right? They were amazed. I mean, it's, it's beyond any human language. It's a marvelous sight that He sees here. What could you ever compare this vision of? I can't think of anything greater. The very throne room of God in heaven. John is shocked. He's overwhelmed. And then he says, seven angels who had seven plagues. And 
This plague doesn't always mean some kind of what we think of, especially in the last year. We, we think of uh, the great virus, China virus, or we think of sickness, plagues that kill people, that kind of thing. It can mean that. It certainly does. But in the Bible, it means this, and I'll save us time. We could go and look at other scriptures, but it, mean, it can mean a blow, a wound, a strike, a scar. Are you getting the idea? In chapter 16, it tells us exactly. There are loathsome sores. There are the sea turning to blood. The waters turning to blood. Men are scorched. Darkness and pain. The Euphrates River is, is dried up. And then the earth is just utterly shaken. <clears throat> so, that's the idea of seven plagues. That's what you see in the next chapter. Chapter 14 gave us a little description of it. 15 says, okay, hold on now for a moment. Uh, I've got to tell you something else that I saw. And so this is why we're at where we're at. Otherwise, we would have gone ahead. 16 would have been chapter 15. <laughs> anyway, you have the reapers, right? The reapers of the uh, grain, the grape harvest, uh, eventually. These plagues are seven bowls. And it says... In a Revelation 15, which are the last, they are the final, they are the most severe of all the ones that we've seen so far, of all the judgments, <clears throat> these are the worst. This is the completion of God's warnings, the completion of His wrath, the most severe, the most deadliest of all that God can send or will send. I can't imagine it getting any worse. And it uses there the wrath of God. The word there is orge, which means anger. Does God have anger? Yes, He does. We see it all through Revelation. You see it in Genesis and all the way through the Bible. You will see His anger. Anger at sin. Angry at men and their vicious, evil wickedness. He's angry at that, isn't he? He hates sin and he will punish sin. He will punish people who are not uh, bought and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Um, later on we'll get the great white throne judgment. And that will be at the very, very end before the eternal state. But the subject that we're covering here is the last wrath of God in the world that we know it now. Uh, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowl judgments. They are finished. Christ then comes back and He finishes it all off after that. Now that's the first vision that John has. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Seven angels, seven plagues, right? Okay, let's go to the second point. We're moving along pretty good, right? We're at verse 2. Then I saw, so pay attention, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Let's stop there. Okay, this is what he's seeing. Sometimes we look at the sea and we think of the sea as roaring and you think of the waves and you think of the great storms and boats being dumped over and sinking and you know horrid scenes like that. It's happened down through time immemorial. 
But uh, sometimes we think of placid waters, no waves, no white caps, it's still. It's beautiful. It looks like glass, doesn't it? And we're before the throne room of God, and all around are the saints and angels. This is a crystal platform, shimmering, tranquil. Uh, This is a shimmering, tranquil, peaceful, transparent, glistening crystal platform. Crystal is cut glass which refracts light and it turns out to be a very magnificent, absolutely brilliant, beautiful, look like diamonds. You know what diamonds do, right? Cut glass. It's like it is. Beautiful, shimmering. And that's what they're seeing, a crystal platform. It's kind of interesting to look in through the Old Testament even and see a little glimpse of heaven. You want to go there for a moment? It's real quick here. Exodus 24, 9 and 10. What does God say early on during the giving of the law? Exodus for instance, is in the, the law. 24, 9 and 10. Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. What they see? They saw the God of Israel, and under His feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. They're seeing the very dwelling of God and they're seeing something like it's sapphire, it's beautiful. Let's move on. Go to Ezekiel. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, chapter uh, 1. There you have a vision that Ezekiel gets, and he gets a vision of divine glory. You ready for it? Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse, like the awesome gleam of crystal. That's why I was saying crystal just a few moments ago. Uh, Ezekiel 1, 22. It was like the awesome gleam of of crystal, we're getting adjectives and nouns, we're getting an idea here what it looked like, spread out over their heads. They were here and kind of underneath and they could see through. And it was a beautiful crystal. It was like, uh, you know, the, the sea that is so tranquil also. And they're looking into the very throne room of God. Ezekiel 1 is quite the vision, folks, and that's why we know that you have the living beings there and quite a view. Uh, Okay, let's go back to Revelation 21. 21. You want to look at heaven? You wonder wonder what heaven looks like? We're given quite the description of it. The only thing is our minds can only go so far because we have finite minds and it's of this flesh that we live in. 21, 
wait, 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 21-21 is what I said, right? And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. The whole gate is a pearl, folks. It's not a pearl on the gate that's like about two or three inches big. It's the whole gate's. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Peace, tranquil, see-through, transparent, uh, crystal, diamonds. Uh, what was another description of it? Sapphire. Uh, back in Revelation 4, we got like emerald. There was a rainbow around the throne that was like uh, emerald in appearance. He was sitting on the throne. He was sitting with like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. Getting some of the most valuable uh, rocks in all the world. People pay thousands of dollars for these. Diamonds and sapphires and emeralds and on and on. You're making things hard for them. <laughs> Rubies. For eternity you will be looking at that. Only it's all smoothed out. In great beauty. No roughness. And so, are, are we getting this? It's like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Interesting that they put fire there. Well, that speaks of God's holiness. It speaks of His judgment. Because that is getting ready to come. So as they're looking at God's throne room here, the very dwelling of God, John here sees this fire. And we've talked about that all throughout. We move on. Divine judgment. Uh, it's because of His holiness that there has to be divine judgment. And so it's part of it here. Getting close to being executed. Now, um, what else does he see? Well, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name. Standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. He sees these, what are the tribulation saints. They're the ones who have been martyred, who have been killed, and they're victorious over the beast, his image, and the 666 number. They have victory. This is not only during that time, but I think it would be even the saints of today. But there are ones that are actually martyred in such a way, massacred for their faith, gathering around the throne here, and I think it's those particular ones who had to go through such excruciating pain, inconceivable terrors that they have to live through, as we have looked in Revelation already, much harder and harsher than we can even imagine. We haven't gone through those things, but there will be saints that will go through some things that we would never probably really want to. But these are massacred for their faith, as they go through all of these horrible things, and when it's all said and done, the smoke clears, and guess who's standing on the crystal platform around the throne of God, triumphantly watching as God comes to avenge His beloved people that are right there. Are you seeing who these people are? They actually beat the beast. You say, how were they beat? He killed them. 
Well, look where they get to go. Praise God. The very dwelling of God. <coughs> That's how that you know we are victorious in this world. We haven't gone to heaven yet, but we already have the victory. And it says in First John that our faith is our victory. Because we trust in Christ, we have victory whether we believe it or not. We have it. If you're of Christ, you've won. You've already won. But these guys probably, while they were going through that, they knew they were winners because it was either Antichrist or it was Christ, and they trust in Christ. Well, maybe they get beheaded. Or, be, or worse than that, uh, crucified, uh, going through the worst kind of death you could have, and making them suffer for days on end. I don't know. But they still win. Because as soon as they die, they are right there. And then God is getting ready to unleash the judgments. And guess who's there? It's the saints. And I believe also we can include us being at this scene here in the sense that one day we'll be in the, near that throne room of God looking there. And we can understand the song they're singing because we know this God. We know this Christ. They're holding harps of God. Harps indicate praise. They indicate singing. Chapter 5, verse 8. We have the Lamb taking the scroll. The seven seals are opened which has brought us all the way to this point. And in verse 8 it says, When He had taken the book, that's the Lamb, folks, the four living creatures, the twenty-four elders, and I believe that's representing the body of Christ, people who are believers, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Uh, they have a harp. It's represented and means rejoicing. It means praise. It means singing. It means stringed instruments. I love stringed instruments. Pianos, guitars, right? harps. I love all other instruments too. Uh, you know what? I really believe that in Psalms it talks about a lot of these instruments. And it says, with that, praise the Lord. Well, that's what we do here. It's a rehearsal for the real game. The real thing. It's not a game there, but the real thing. Okay, are you getting this? The victorious ones, they're holding harps, getting ready to sing. I'm going to have to take a few minutes to describe this song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. What is that? Well, it's actually something that's been recorded already. But it's just some uh, more verses to add to what was written. God can do that because in this book, He says, don't add to this book. You know, the whole book and even Revelation. There's nothing else that needs to be revealed. But at this time, this is added on in, in this sense. Um, singing. They sing. 
the Song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the Song of the Lamb, saying, I read this real slow on purpose earlier, you remember that? Think about his attributes. How do you praise God? Attributes. You know, the songs that we sing, they revolve around his attributes, who he is. They really shouldn't revolve around us, should they? But about him. Now sometimes it's good to sing a song, what he's done, and bring forth a little testimony, but it always is to bring glory to him. Right? That's the idea. Here's the fountainhead, folks, of God's wrath that is to be delivered. It's also the fountainhead of praise of what we see great, marvelous. Lord God, He's almighty, He's righteous, He's true, He is king, He's sovereign. Uh, he is Lord, glorify Him. He is holy. Where am I getting all of these at? In your prayers, those words need to be there. Think about His attributes. I don't know what to pray. We'll just say, God, You are holy. Our Father who art in heaven, You are holy. Thou art holy. He is totally perfect, morally set apart, now, uh, how can I do this? Shorten this down. Uh, we just did this, right? All the nations will come worship for you for your righteous acts. Your works have been revealed. They are righteous. Everything you do is righteous. Okay, now what do we do? Song of Moses. I think you've probably heard of that one before. You remember in Exodus 15, after the children of Israel who had been in bondage in Egypt for like 430 years, God has the ten plagues on Egypt and then He tells them at the Passover, the tenth one, to go ahead and go. Go to the promised land and God's leading them, right? And Moses is uh, the one who is leading them. You have the cloud by day, fire by night. That's going to happen. But here's what the deal is. They come to the Red Sea. He splits it, right? You guys know about that? They all walk through, all two million of them, through the Red Sea. And then it closes in. Here comes the Egyptians and... And the enemy is swallowed up. And Moses wrote a song about that showing here's what God does. He's mighty. He's, he's great. He's marvelous. He's almighty. He's righteous. He's true. He's the king. Glorify Him. He's holy. Right? His righteous acts have been revealed. Well, not exactly the way this is written here, but those words appear in that song of Moses. <clears throat> and that's in Exodus 15. I don't have enough time to go through all of it. I'll just read like basically the first verse. And it kind of gets the idea. And he kind of tells how God has delivered them and gives a lot of history about, about what He's done. But it says in 15.1, Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. <clears throat> the horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. That's power, isn't it? And song, He's become my salvation. In verse 3, He's a warrior. It talks about His name in verse 3, the Lord. Verse 6, 
You will see majestic and power. Verse 7, greatness of your excellence. Verse 11, who is among you? Uh, holiness, majestic and holy, awesome and praises, working wonders. Revelation said uh, about the righteous acts that have been done. In, in your loving kindness or mercy. Uh, verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever. That is uh, <clears throat> sovereignty of God. Now, it's interesting that in verse 21, you have Miriam, which is the sister of Moses, answered them, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted, the horse and his rider He has hurled into the sea. So they've got the tambourines, they've got rhythm going there. Moses and the, the nation is singing this song. And it's almost like there's an antiphonal thing maybe happening here as she sings back and she answers them. Sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The horse and the rider He has hurled into the sea. We know what that is, the Red, Red Sea. <clears throat> the song of Moses. No doubt, that's one thing that it is definitely referring to when you saw those attributes that's mentioned in Revelation. Well, this is another verse to it or so, right? Do you catch that? Uh, the Song of the Lamb. Now that's interesting. The Song of Moses. The Song of the Lamb. What's the Song of the Lamb? Well, we'll stay in Old Testament just for a moment. And we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now this is going to sound like a rabbit trail. At first. <clears throat> but in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy is another song that's called the Song of Moses. And this was another one that he wrote, and I'll tell you why he wrote it. God is, in chapter 31, and I'll sum it up, we can look those verses up, but... Um, but uh, starting around 19 and around that area, or even 15, the Lord, 16, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land into the midst of which they're going, and, I will, and they will forsake me and break my covenant which I've made with them. That's sad. Just before he writes a song, God tells Moses, Listen, you're about ready to die here. It's about time. Um, you're going to write a song and you're going to teach it to the nation of Israel. And you're going to tell them that they're going to play the harlot with me. They're going to abandon me. They're going to forget me. This song is going to tell all the history of what they did, but he's going to get to the point of what God does. And it's about His mercy, His loving kindness, His grace. And you go... This is unbelievable. He tells them, he says, I know what's going to happen. This is, this is their intention. This is the idea of, of that. And um, 19, Now therefore write this song for yourselves, teach it to the sons of Israel, put it in their lips, so that this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I will bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. Did that happen? 
God is absolutely right. And then you get into the song of Moses in chapter 32. And he says in verse 4, The rock, His work is perfect. For all His ways are just. Did we see that in Revelation 15? Just, all His ways. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous, did we see that? And upright is He. Verse 4 is just powerful with that. He is the rock. I think this might be... This is the first time that the rock is mentioned here, or at least in Deuteronomy. The rock we know is really Christ because we will find out that there's a rock of Horeb. And that's where the water came out of the rock. Now Moses had struck it twice one time when he was told to strike it once. And that was not good because he disobeyed God on purpose. And the water flows out. But that rock is told to us in the New Testament that the rock is Christ. It represented Christ because He is the water that flows. Right? He is that rock. Now, here is Deuteronomy 32 and it's going to tell all the way through and I'm not going to read all of this, folks, but I can tell you what, it's a condemnation of Israel. But yet, in verse 36, the Lord will vindicate His people and will have compassion on His servants. And He's talking about an ultimate deliverance. Ultimately, it is being delivered. There's triumph. There is victory. Are we getting it there? Are we seeing that this is deliverance and they're brought to freedom finally because of the rock, because of the Messiah, Christ. He says, there will be many evils and troubles that have come upon them that this song will testify them for them as a witness not to be forgotten from the lips of their descendants for I know their intent that they are developing today before I have brought them into the land which I swore. God is saying, yeah, they're going to turn away from me. Moses, write this song and make them learn the words. And their children and descendants will be saying this. Can you imagine? There could be Jewish people today reading this, say, this was my people. And God could be drawing them um, They turned away from Him. This is a marvelous, magnificent display of God's love. This is a rehearsal of God's dealings with them all the way to the end. The song of Moses, the song of the Lamb, the rock, the rock. His work is perfect, it says in verse 4. He talks about God's perfection in His work and in His ways. He then talks about God's goodness on the election of the nation of Israel. He looks at the 43rd verse of Deuteronomy 32 and he says, Rejoice, O nations, with His people. That's all the elect of all the world, Israel, all the nations. He'll avenge the blood of His servants. 
it boils down to this. God is merciful to His people. He has an unconditional promise dealt with by the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenants ultimately. Isn't that amazing? The triumph of the righteous. That's what they're singing here. What are the components of that song that was whenever they crossed the Red Sea? That they were delivered. Were they triumphant? Yes. What else did God do? Well, He defeated the enemies, didn't He? So there's triumph for the believers and there's judgment for the ones who are not. The song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. Magnificent psalm, you could call it. A, 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 a Lamb of God. They sing of God's works, God's ways. You know what the whole emphasis about all this is? The Lord God is the rock of salvation. This means that it is about deliverance from Egypt, which ultimately is the deliverance of mankind from sin due to the work of the rock. Do you see the two songs? Deliverance from Egypt really represents what? We were all delivered out of where? Egypt. Out of bondage. Representing evil and wickedness. And so, therefore, the themes of this song that's now in Revelation are taken directly out of the Song of Moses. The Song of the Lamb. And if you turn to Revelation 5 just for a moment... Here in Revelation 5, who steps forth to open the seals of the book? The Lamb. And who's singing? Well, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they have the harps, and here we go. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Do you see anything different there than you did back in Deuteronomy chapter 32 or uh, Exodus 15? Well, here's another song. Uh, the angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the, the myriads of angels. Now they're saying in verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Does that sound like a song? Who's singing that? Angels. Saints. Worthy is the Lamb. And they give these great attributes of God. You go on further. Every created thing. It covers everybody and everything. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's exactly what the next verse is. Amen. Folks, the song of Moses and now we see there the song of the Lamb. God's promise. We could be like those children of Israel and God is going to have to judge or if you're His and you belong to the Lamb. We say glory and honor and power and blessing. Oh God, everything you do is wonderful. It's great. It's marvelous. You're righteous. You're true. When you say those words, folks, you are worshiping at the ultimate because you're extending out how great He is. We're here for one reason. 
right. We're here to worship, to glorify Him. It's about Him. Yeah, but you don't know my life. Well, just turn it to Christ. Quit featuring about yourself. You're not the feature here. Matter of fact, everything you see here, now we're going to wrap this song up and go into the, the last part. It's going to go quickly. But I want you to catch this. Great and marvelous are your works. Did you guys catch that? O Lord God, the Almighty. They're speaking to Him. Righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are, you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Wow, it's all about God, folks. Don't get focused in on yourself. That's where you run into trouble, turning inwardly. Just say, okay, things are not going well today. This is a bad day for me. You know what? Wait a minute. I am focused wrong here. I need to go right to the Lord. And don't start complaining. Just say, Lord, you are righteous. You are true. Everything you do is just awesome. I am amazed at you. I'm amazed that you would even take a poor sinner like me and bring you bring me into the family of God. I have no idea, Lord, why you would do that other than that's what you chose to do. And you just start giving Him praise and glory. And you know what? Your mind has now been set right. Renew your mind every day, right? Renew your thinking because your thinking is going to go exactly the way the world thinks. Oh, this day stinks. This is horrible. Life stinks. Life is horrible, you know? No. It doesn't matter. Look at God. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Okay, this last part, folks. Like always, boom. This We, we just went to the best part. All he's doing now is saying, okay, chapter 16 is coming. <laughs> but what happened first? Praise. But also it's making you remember that, oh, before this happens, we need to praise God because our prayers are being answered. These are the prayers of the saints. And they sing. Now the third sign, I guess you could say sign, he says, after these things I looked. Verse 1, I saw. Verse 2, I saw. Now he says, I looked. He just keeps looking. He just keeps seeing things that are just amazing. Here we go. The temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Uh, what, what's that? Well, this is the final vision in, in verses 5 through 8. It, it's really the opened temple. It's like you can see in there. The tabernacle just means a container, a tent, skene. It meant anything that contains something. And the Ark of the Covenant here contains the testimony. What testimony? It's a testimony of God's revelations. Everything that He has shown. John looks into heaven, he looks right into the Naas, the, the temple. This is the very Holy of Holies. It's where God dwells. He's looking in there. The Ark of the Covenant represents the dwelling place of God. And that's where it's placed. 
That's what he's trying to say. I, I saw right into where God dwells. Yeah, right, John, sure. Well, we can believe this because he is inspired by God. Wow. And then he says, The seven angels who had seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded them on their chests chest with golden sashes. This is the, the vision of the angels. And it's like they have royal priesthood uh, clothes on, you know, uh, of judgment. They're the very ones that are going to bring on the, the bowls. They're executioners of the plan, and they are pure, they are holy. They're representing what priests would be in a sense. They're, they're not priests, but they're evidenced by a beautiful, clean, and dazzling, brilliant, white, gleaming uh, clothes that they have, golden sashes representing almost kingly and that kind of thing. It's the evidence of, of royalty here. Untarnished glory. Wow, how awesome this is. John said, hey, I, I saw this sign in heaven, the seven angels, seven plagues. Then he looks and he sees, ah, I, I, I saw around the throne, you know, these tribulation saints praising and singing God, singing to God the, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And then I looked and then I saw inside the temple and there are these seven angels again in that amazing, glorious wardrobe that they have, clothed with brilliance. Go to verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. He's eternal. This judgment is not eternal in the sense of what well, He just keeps judging. He, you know, it's getting near the finish and these bowls are not deep. They're not big long flask or something like that where you know, it takes a while. They, you know, they take these bowls and it's going to be Boom, 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 boom. Rapid fire, chapter 16 is what it is. That's what we're leading into. And so it, they're like shallow saucers and they just dump it. Um, these kind of bowls were used for sacrificial um, uh, things and uh, even blood sacrifice. There'll definitely be blood sacrifice coming up here on their um, last thought here is Verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. No one was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. In this temple, you remember John saw this and it had been opened up. There hadn't been smoke before and all of a sudden he sees smoke in this temple. Wow. You know, you go to a rock concert and you see all the lights and then you see smoke and everything. This is the concert of the ages. As he's getting ready to unleash this, this is quite a sight. I will tell you, there's smoke that is also seen in the vision that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. Remember, holy, holy, holy. And in that chapter, you will see smoke there. And uh, it's dealing with the holiness of God and the wrath of God that is based upon His holiness 
And it's coming from this sanctuary. The temple is filled with smoke. It's God's presence acting in judgment. Out comes smoke from the very glory of God. From His power billowing out. Nobody can go in there now till it's all done. It's called a glory smoke. What do you think of that? Boy, people are smoking all sorts of things today, aren't they? Well, this is the smoke of all smoke. Holy smoke. <laughs> I just not thought of that, so I guess I probably ought to say I apologize. But I think you could say that. It's clouds of wrath. And that's kind of smoke filled in Isaiah 6. Uh, you remember Isaiah saw that he was a man of unclean lips like the people were too. And he says, I'm not worthy. And God cleanses. Uh, he says, take this fire here, you know, the altars, or the, the altar of incense, the incense, and just uh, they put them in, and the angels put it into his mouth and cleanses his mouth. <laughs> um, this is all about God's glory, folks. This is truly tremendous. We've seen God's glory in this whole chapter. Just eight verses. Did you see God's glory here? Did you see something awesome? Did you see praise of God that is overwhelming? And that are those are people that will be in the future that will be happening. Do you know what? They're on our side. And for all the things that we deal with, God is going to take care of ultimately. If, we're, if we are practicing righteous things and we get um, in trouble for it or it just seems like things just don't go our way because we're Christians or whatever, you know, God says, I take care of my people. Just wait. I'll be taking care of it. And so if you don't see it done in this lifetime... Just imagine at that time whenever he's unleashing it completely on sin. And when Christ comes back. We win. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious passage. It is all about your glory. And it, it is awesome. The very song of Moses and the song of Lamb, that's really what it's all about. This Lamb... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, all the ones who are yours. The sin is paid for at the cross. The wrath of God was definitely unleashed there. If we're not included in that people, the wrath of God will be unleashed upon people who have not put their trust in Christ. We thank you so much for your grace. For that is the reason why we can stand before a holy God, the Lamb of God, and say, Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. You are a God of power. We are in awe. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. And we say, Happy Mother's Day. Men,